This is the Negotiate X Podcast, show number 15. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Well, Aram, um, this is definitely going to be a different episode than we have obviously been planning. It's been a pretty difficult week, I think, for a lot of people and specifically a lot of a lot of veterans and current service members who have served in Afghanistan with everything that we see that's going on. And um, I know that we weren't planning on doing a podcast episode about this. However, um, we both kind of agreed how, you know, it's it's been a big part of our lives. And uh, I think that's something that we wanted to talk to today. We definitely wanted to keep it partisan neutral, not getting into the politics aspect of this, but trying to definitely frame everything around the negotiations context. So first, my sincerest kind of condolences to what the Afghans are going through, our partners who who we have worked with and built relationships with over the 20 years, and then to all the sacrifices that both us and our NATO partners and our allies have all experienced in Afghanistan with losses. I mean, many of y'all don't know this, but Aram and I have a dear friend by the name of Drew Ross. Drew served with special forces in Afghanistan and, and Aaron taught both, both me and Drew in the same class. And we lost Drew in 2018 to an IED in Afghanistan. So the sacrifices from, from all of our service men and women have definitely, it's just been difficult to watch. I think for everybody to see the progress we've made and, and to how fast it kind of, seem to go away. So again, in keeping this in negotiations context, I'll turn it over to Aram to kind of weigh in on, on coming some of this. Yeah, Nolan, thanks. And I, um, uh, you know, there are people that are, have been talking now for, you know, a couple of weeks when this finally comes out, who are probably more articulate than both of us. And, and I would say too, that you and I both have multiple deployments to Afghanistan. And so our hearts and a, and a huge part of us are there. And, 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 and Drew and others who, who gave their lives there, you know, are, are always with us. I would start my comments the same way that you did, which is I have tremendous grief for our, um, our Afghan partners and friends who have risked so much, who invited uh, us into their homes and their offices, who trusted us, and many are now in, in great harm's, harm's way. And, and I've been in contact with some who I know feel, and I think rightly so, betrayed by what's happened over the last couple of weeks by inaction. And, and really, it's more than the last, last couple of weeks. But I just, um, when I was there on, on my second deployment in 2010, I wore a patch, and on there, on that patch, it said Shona Bashona, which meant shoulder to shoulder. And we were meant to be serving side by side with our Afghan partners, and um, we we have not followed through on that. So, and, and there are some as we look through this, there's going to be some probably some negotiation things we can observe. So, tremendous pain and sorrow for the Afghans, and we are we are working. Uh, there's a lot of work being done, and I will say that one of the things that's made me proudest about our community of veterans 
is the actions I have seen taken after the veterans, the American veterans who have been on, uh, who are doing everything they can, working with different agencies and organizations to get colleagues and friends who are in danger out of that country, out of Afghanistan right now as the Taliban takes over. The spirit of don't we don't leave anyone behind is strong within this veteran community. I'm grateful for that. And, um, you know, despite the the fact that our politicians and many American people may not be living up to the commitments that we made. I love to see that, that our veterans, our veterans are. So, yeah, so that's, that's kind of a, just an initial piece. I've, I've talked to a number of folks, how they're doing. Yeah. You were there, Nolan, for four times. What can you tell me about the, the relationships that you built with Afghan partners? Yeah. So it takes me back kind of to my first deployment to Southern Afghanistan. I was just a second lieutenant, a little platoon leader, you know, brand new green into the army. And, and, uh, actually the first time I started leading soldiers, like there was no training before it, I was thrown right into the mix when we were in Southern Afghanistan. So basically I remember us living in a platoon outpost, which just means like a small isolated, just 30, you know, 30 to 40 of my soldiers. And there was about 15 Afghanistan National Army with us, and then probably about 10 Afghanistan National Police, all living in this small, basically fortified courtyard. And everyone just kind of threw up uh, a shade, and we just slept in open cots out in the middle of the desert. And so when you're sitting there and you're uh, you're just focused on securing and, and going out and talking to the village elders. There's also a lot of time that you have to kill. And so a lot of time we spent, you know, directly with our partners, with our linguists, and just building those relationships. I mean, it goes back to the the saying of of breaking bread with your counterpart, especially in Afghanistan. And so I mean we'd literally they'd they'd invite you know, myself and, and a few other leaders over on the occasion to have some chicken or some goat, which was just um, <laughs> at the time, just phenomenal to sit there. And I mean, everyone digs in, pulls off their food. I mean, it's just, it's definitely a different experience than we're used to, but being in that culture, spending that time with them and really getting to know and build those relationships has just been definitely changed the way that I've viewed the world outside of the United States. Um, yeah, I think it's so important. When we wrote the article back in 2010, based on my deployment that year, and we talked about some of the observations, one this idea of 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 really living with people that we are engaged in problem solving with and getting into their world. And what you described there is such a beautiful example. Um, I and I I believe that it has corporate translations of of meeting people in their offices and and their place and really understanding them and building that relationship and the power of breaking bread and eating a meal together and and, and the, how how tremendously impactful that is and it's the it's the importance of the casual conversation as well and understanding people's people's motivations i, I will say that the the Afghan people and my friends who uh, so graciously hosted me, their generosity was beyond none. I, I've been better treated by uh, by some Afghans than I've been treated by own members of my family. Um, and uh, and so it's. Um, I remember on when uh, I was there when I was there for my deployment in 2011 to 12, my third deployment on April 15th, uh, 2012. There was a simultaneous attack. 
um, on both the uh, Afghan parliament and on the, the green zone. And we were out meeting uh, with some Afghans uh, in Kabul at the time. And, uh, and so we had to break off our meeting. We started to head back towards the green zone to ISAF headquarters. Couldn't get back because everything got locked up. So we had to take cover uh, at a hotel and wait for things to calm down. And the first folks to reach out were my Afghan friends that we had just left and said, do you need to come back to our office? We'll take care of you. We'll protect you. Make sure you're fine and safe. And I knew that was true. It wasn't what we ended up doing, but, but I knew that I would be entirely safe and that they would they would die if need be for me and for two other officers I, I was with at the time. And that's, uh, to me, that that willingness to to really sacrifice went both ways. And I think that's part of the narrative that's been missing over the last couple of weeks too, as I've heard different leaders go on and talk about how we were fighting their war or we're the ones making the sacrifice. It, it is such a false narrative and it's such a misunderstanding of what, what we who lived and served there saw on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think um, it extends beyond just the uh... Afghanistan National Army, Afghanistan National Police, you know, our direct partners, but also to the Afghan village elders and, and community. I remember, you know, being able to take my platoon into, and that's probably, that, again, that's like a group of 30 to 40 soldiers. We're usually walking around on foot at the time in, in Southern Afghanistan. And we'd walk into a village and we'd just be able to say like, hey, I'd love to talk to the village elder. My interpreter would then talk to to one of the males in the village, and then in no less than thirty minutes, there would be a group of thirty. To, like every single male in that village would take the time from what they were doing. They'd stop working their fields. They'd stop whatever they were doing to come have a meeting, and we would just really just talk and and see how everything was doing. It was nothing. Of uh, I didn't have a specific agenda, and and um, but for them to just do that, it just shows the amount of I mean, literally the um, care, the care, the concern, the engagement. I mean, there's a narrative out there which which we have talked ourselves into now, you know, over the course of two decades, which is the Afghans didn't want us there, <laughs> and again. That's not that's not consistent with what you're describing, Nolan. With where there were these meetings and gatherings and discussions, and there were and and then taking those and, and actually taking action. Um, I mean, there was you know there was genuine relationship and trust building, despite the fact that you know throughout the 20 years, you know the we had we had senior leaders you know of of both political parties and of of different backgrounds constantly talking about how next year we're going to leave you and and you think about what that creates in terms of the dynamic for a relationship if i were working with a supplier or a client and say all right i'll stick with you one more year but next year we're breaking this off next year we're breaking this off and you do that for 20 years and you you truly affect the the psyche this was always in afghanistan right this was a long term problem and i think sometimes when we get into negotiation or influence situations anywhere we're trying to problem solve it is really easy to not test our assumptions and to take a short-sighted view of the problem. And I, I think that's always a danger. And that was going to be a danger here in Afghanistan. And the work that you're describing was with a long-term focus. And I think service members, service members understood that. This was never going to be a quick fix. 
Yeah, and I think we always <laughs> kind of whenever you talk about our strategy in Afghanistan, you know, it wasn't one 20-year war. It was 21-year wars. I was at West Point. I will not mention the general's name, but I heard a general say, we have fought the war one year at a time for, at that time, it was 11 years over, right? So everyone was thinking, right, at a strategic level, we're going to win this on our watch, or, right? We're going to end this. And there was no long-term perspective. There was no patience, which I find ironic given what I've seen us do in other parts of the world where we have committed. I mean, in South Korea, the Korean War ended in 1953, but there was not a democratically elected government until 1987. We were patient. We remain patient there today with tens of thousands of soldiers deployed to South Korea. How much money have we invested there? Again, it goes back to the perceptions that we have fostered versus challenged. It, it, it goes also back to what our strategy was there. The conversations, we were constantly looking for the six-month, nine-month, 12-month measures of success versus looking at longer measures of success. And that affected the way we engaged with at a strategic level and helped our Afghan partners resolve um, issues that, that go back, you know, decades. Yeah. I mean, still... It's tough to talk about, man. It's uh, and this is probably the least emotional I have been over the last two weeks, and and I have right and 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 have had had such a hard time. Um, because again, my heart is there as it is with so many veterans. Um, I you know I'll give some other things. I we forced the wrong conversations. I think there's a learning point there in our negotiations. Are we having the right conversation in Afghanistan? We've tried to force that. We tried to force them to have conversations about where Afghanistan fit into the global picture before we had them engaging more effectively with each other, the internal, uh, within the different the different tribes, the different, the different parties, then regionally how they fit within the unique place, which by the way, I, I think from an American perspective, where Afghanistan sits in the world, there was all the need in the world to establish and then reinforce the strategic partnership with with the the country of Afghanistan because where it falls and and who its neighbors are but we didn't we never encouraged that regional conversation and then eventually decades later get to where you fit into the global picture there is this perception that this was somehow an Afghan civil war that we were simply helping them fight versus seeing this as we were helping and they were bearing the brunt of this as tens of thousands of Afghans have have, have died uh, in fighting fighting this war over the last 20 years, we were fighting a very sick uh, group of folks, the Taliban who's tied in with Al Qaeda, and we were fighting them on on the 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 borderlands of 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 civilization rather than fighting them on our own doorsteps. And that was that should have been taken into account. And that's that's again it, it, that hasn't been. We we keep talking about how. We're simply trying to help them fight their war. And that narrative has been pushed out and reinforced. The power of the what we tell ourselves in negotiation, I think, is a critical takeaway here. Yeah, I think I want to get your your opinion, too, on, I don't know, I may be wrong with, with where I'm going with this, but on rewarding bad behavior. Because hmm. I feel like we've been in discussions, negotiations with the Taliban for some time now. There's no hiding that. Yeah, but I feel like they didn't, you know, 
uphold their end of the <laughs> negotiation. That's putting yeah. it, that's putting it pretty mildly, my friend. Yet nothing happened. So how does the context of rewarding bad behavior here, you know, how can we how can we dive into that? Well, so first of all, the agreement in uh, 2019, 2020 was a complete compromise and capitulation, and it undermined the legitimate government of Afghanistan, and it put them in an incredible disadvantage. It reinforced, by the way, an Afghan narrative, which is the U.S. has deserted us six times over the last hundred years. It, it, re, it reinforced that. And, I, and the sixth time, I believe I'm counting, is, is what's just happened now here in 2021. But, but absolutely, absolutely true. We've reinforced bad behavior. And we are pretty naive if we think that is just going to be understood by the Taliban in Afghanistan. It will be seen by extremist jihadists worldwide that the America America will cave and capitulate. That negotiation talked about you know resolving issues within the Afghan government, which President Ghani and uh, and his team tried to do, but would try to do in a way that was going to lead, you know, continue on the path of development that Afghanistan had. The, the Taliban broke that. There were counterterrorism assurance, assur assurances. There were withdrawal assurances. The truth is, is that all those things were based on the Taliban keeping their commitment, which they never did. It was a complete breach in contract. Anywhere else in the world, for, for anyone else who's doing a corporate negotiation, if there is a breaching contract, you would not continue to live up to your side of the agreement. It's broken. So why would we, other than a complete, you know, just lack of will to uh, address it? So um, absolutely what you're saying is correct. We have reinforced, we have, you know, the, the story we've told before, I know about, about Nixon's dogs, we, we have taught the dog to chew the carpet. And we have reinforced that. And uh, we, we won't, can't be surprised when that happens again. The other thing too, I mean, in terms of underestimating, we, we have not taken into account all the stakeholders in place. We talk a lot about stakeholder mapping, understanding influencers. We didn't take into account the, the picture that was going to be created for all the people. All right, the ANA, the ANP, the uh, you know after so the National Army, the National Police, uh, the the political leaders. When they looked over their shoulder and and we said, "Sorry, we're out of here. We're we're taking our own and we're going home," versus Taliban, who is surrounded behind, and we won't get into the details there, but surrounded uh, and supported by so so many other different stakeholders. So we we certainly didn't take that into account either. Uh, all I can say is that I'm I'm hoping that it gets better. I'm hoping that we're able to get our partners who just get them the safety that they that they definitely need in this time. Is is there anything that you want to kind of cover cover here? Yeah, I could probably say make give you make a joke um, about hoping in one hand and doing something else in the other, and see seeing what you have more of. I hate strategies that are built on hope. And and Nolan, at the same time, I know what you're saying. I we we have love. You and I, I know, have love. For, for the, the, the folks that we have worked so closely with, we know them to be just incredible, courageous people. I think that we have talked ourselves into a false choice. I still think the choice is false. I still think there is, is a um, reason to reconsider what we're doing between withdrawal and surge. I, I don't think, I think whenever we fit, put ourselves into this or this and we stop thinking about other things we can do, all right, we have limited ourselves unnecessarily. We talk about this all the time. The tension people feel between the substance of an agreement and the relationship 
relationship with the other party, right? That, they, that we have to choose between the two. We don't believe that, right? That there's that there's some tension between being assertive and and being collaborative. Well, we think we can we can. There are ways we can do both, and we talk about those tensions all the time. And we have talked ourselves as in terms of a country into this very dichotomous sort of solution. I think the last thing that I will just leave out there is compromise, capitulation, complacency have no place at the negotiation table. And in the hands of the leader who is negotiating for us, those are not the hallmarks of an effective leader. We've talked about the hallmarks of an effective leader and effective negotiator in the past, right? Someone who builds genuine relationships, who doesn't do things that are just politically convenient, but who who speaks with integrity, whose word can be trusted. Somebody who manages perceptions incredibly well and understands interests can get creative around options, who does things that are fair and reasonable around these standards of legitimacy and makes commitments that they will then follow through on. All right. And those are the hallmarks of, of effective negotiators. And those are hallmarks of effective leaders. And I, it, it brings me great sorrow that we're not seeing that right now. I think that's kind of the the perfect end to to this podcast. So again, best of luck to to everyone currently in Afghanistan with what you're facing, and uh, we we sincerely hope for for the best. So with that, we will see you in the next episode.